Hi, I'm Kevin Cutler with Biteable. I'll be your podcast host for this week's special edition of the Biteable Podcast with guest Sarah Lloyd, recorded live from the Organization for Competitive Markets Conference in Kansas City. Sarah Lloyd farms with her husband Nels Nelson on the 350-cow Nelson Dairy Farm in Wisconsin. She works off-farm as the Director of Special Projects for the Wisconsin Farmers Union. This work includes support for community-supported agriculture farmers, organizing for fair prices for dairy farmers through the Dairy Together campaign, and research on fair labor issues in agriculture. She is also the Director of Development and the Secretary of the Board for the Wisconsin Food Hub Cooperative, which aggregates and sells fresh produce into local wholesale markets for its farmer members. Listen as we discuss the problems facing dairy producers and our rural communities, and how we can all work together towards building a better food system. No Better Live Best is dedicated to supporting food and health literacy in people of all ages. Our mission is to cut through the misinformation surrounding food, health, and nutrition, because we believe that when people know better, they can make the right choices and live their best lives. We are presented by Biteable Foods. They use blockchain and Internet of Things technology to build traceable, transparent food systems, because it shouldn't take an investigative journalist to find out where food comes from. Hello, I'm Kevin with Biteable, and I'm here with Sarah Lloyd, the Director of Special Projects for the Wisconsin Farmers Union. Today, we're going to be talking about the problems that exist in the dairy industry and solutions for the future. Hello, Sarah. Can you tell us a little about yourself and how you got into this profession? Yeah, sure. So uh, my husband and I are dairy farming with his family. We're in Wisconsin, and we milk about 400 cows. We farm with his family. And I have a background in environmental work, and I also have interest in community and economic development. And so, uh, you know, kind of looking at how farms are important for communities and how farms are important for eaters. And so uh, I work with the Wisconsin Farmers Union, which is an organization that has chapters all over the nation. And in Wisconsin, it was started in 1930. So it's a long-standing organization with a, a long history of working for family farmers and rural communities. Great. You're perfect for this topic then. So um, I I got joked about this when I was younger growing up. I'm in it from a city of 100,000, but to farmers, I was still a city boy. Yeah, but I, I do think there is a problem sometimes with people that are in cities that they there's a disconnect that what's happening out in the farm in the rural communities doesn't affect them, but it very much affects them. And I really want to get your take on that. The first thing is that you spoke last night at the OCM conference and correct me if I'm wrong, but we went from having 14,000 dairy farms to now we're having around 8,000 in a very quick time. So that means there's more concentration of power and also there's less money circulating in the rural communities. Can we just start off real quick about why should people care about that? Because I know some people might think, oh, things are getting more efficient, but there's other costs not getting captured in our current economic model. Yeah, so the numbers you said are correct for Wisconsin. So back in 2007, there were over 14,000 dairy farms. And now I think the last number I saw was actually we've already dipped below 8,000 uh, here in 2019. 
And that, if you think about, you know, each one of those farms is, it's a small business, it's buying products from other local businesses, it's spending money in the community for, you know, groceries and other things. And so on one level, it's, it's a, it's a little economic engine, each one of the farms. And then also, what we often don't talk about and what doesn't get captured is what is the social impact of losing a business that might have some employees and is actively buying things and are those people staying in the community? Are they going to the schools? Are they shopping on Main Street? Are they taking part in, you know, after school or library programs or the Rotary Club? So I think all of the impacts um, when you lose the farms uh, really ripples out both socially and economically. And then you just have the issue, one part of the, those numbers of how many farms have been lost is we haven't reduced our milk production. So we actually in Wisconsin have been steadily increasing our milk production. So you mentioned the impact of, of like, concentration or just more fewer farms producing the same if not more milk and then what happens in the larger economy is when you go to the grocery store to buy your milk then there's just more economic power concentrated into fewer actors or people's hands and from a just the history of the United States, we've always thought about competition and fairness and, and that, you know, many people sort of economic democracy. And when you get fewer and fewer people with more and more power in the markets, it just tends to, it's not going well. I mean, it, it's not going well for people. I mean, we can see it in our rural communities. You can see it in the urban communities that the economy is not functioning for people. Um, and that's why, you know, the dairy farmers are going out. The reason we've lost so many of them is because the prices that are being paid to farmers for their milk is not enough for them to run their farms. And so people have to choose to leave dairy farming and some people are leaving under bankruptcy because it's that dire now and and so it's it's really the speed at which the dairy farms are going out of business and you're just seeing fewer bigger farms is is quite uh dramatic yes and with that concentration of power that's there um like you said, the lower prices, less money going to the farmer. I think just to clarify, John Eichert in his speech, he was talking about that a lot of our rural communities, because of these loss of family farms, have some of the same socioeconomic problems of our inner cities because of that. And uh, there was a graphic put up yesterday at the conference that in the 1980s, this might apply to the uh, dairy industry as well, but it used to be about 35 cents of every dollar went to the farmer and now it's 15 cents going to the farmer. And one thing I just don't understand is that if the farmer's doing most of the hard work, all of that labor, why are they getting less of that overall dollar? Is it because of that concentration of power? Yeah, I think the reduced farmer share 
of that consumer dollar has a lot to do with, you know, what people can do in the marketplace. We had, um, so Wisconsin Farmers Union has been working with a couple dairy economists to, to kind of look at the numbers. And we asked them, well, you know, because the big concern is like, if the farmers are paid a higher price, oh, that's automatically going to mean that the consumer has to pay a higher price. And ob obviously, as we said, people in both like farmers and consumers are struggling. So, you know, where who's going to bear the burden? Right now, the farmers are bearing the burden of like not being paid enough for their milk to cover their cost of production. But we asked the economists and they figured out through one a calculation that if you paid farmers $2 more for 100 pounds of milk, so we sell our milk in 100 pound units, hundred weights. Um, if you paid farmers two more dollars for that hundred pounds, that if, if the consumer bore the whole amount of that increase, it would equate to 11 cents for a gallon of milk. And, you know, I mean, 11 cents is not insignificant, but the most important thing I want to talk about is like, why should the consumer actually have to bear that 11 cents because we know that the processors and the distributors and the retailers in in the case now are getting more than their fair share of the dollar and everybody needs to make a profit i don't you know we need to redistribute the the dollars more equally across the system or the supply chain and say like well maybe it would would have to go up 3 cents for the consumer but and maybe the retailer takes three or four of those cents and the distributor and the processor. Uh, but we could do this. I mean, there's plenty of money in the marketplace. That's what I always like to say. There's plenty of money in the marketplace that you could really uh, increase farmers' prices to something that is viable for them as people, as businesses. And and so that's, you know, really what we're working on. Yeah, we'll get into the pricing later when we talk about dairy together but to finish up kind of like the problems that exist in the dairy industry i wanted to get your take on something was that with this concentration of power the thing i always get concerned with is food safety mm -hmm. now if there's fewer people in the marketplace that are processing these uh, and also could fix prices um you know if one of them goes under or if there's an issue it's just I, I just get concerned with that food quality. Is there risk of more recalls because of being mass produced really fast, just commodity prices cheap? I, I just wanted to get your intake on the food safety aspect mm -hmm. of getting more consolidation of power. Yeah. I think whenever you concentrate all your eggs in one basket, as they might say, you al always have that risk that if something goes wrong, then it's gone wrong in a bigger mm -hmm. uh, scale. You know, if you just look at some of the lettuce recalls or the cantaloupe, you know, issues in the past, you just think, wow. Or if you see a lot of times like beef, recalls now you just think wow like they've identified one source of that issue and they're recalling things in 27 states you know or, yeah, or things like yeah. that and so you really uh, start to understand in our food system how we are 
putting all our eggs in one basket. And, uh, I think, you know, I will say for dairy, I dairy is very regulated for quality. Um, and so, and I don't think because it's going through pasteurization at the, at the processor level, like it leaves our farm and then goes to a, a plant like most days ours goes to a butter plant, but it's pasteurized there. So I don't, I think even in a large plant, it, it's very heavily regulated as far as like temperatures and, and things like that. The thing that I worry about, which is a public health issue and is an environmental issue, is as you're seeing fewer and fewer larger and larger farms, you are then concentrating all of the manure from the animals in one place. And that just, it's inherently risky. When we talk to the people in the industry, they're like, don't worry, there's nothing to worry about. We are so regulated by, you know, the state governments and the federal governments, and we take really good care. It's like, well, you could be as careful as you want, but accidents happen, unexpected things happen, and now you don't have 150 cows worth of poop. You've got... 8,000 cows worth of poop. And to me, it's like, I, that's not worth the risk to me. I mean, we're seeing a lot of issues in Wisconsin with groundwater quality and issues with people's wells uh, being contaminated with poop. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it just, it, that's the other part of this change towards fewer far fewer larger farms is that I just don't think it's an acceptable risk because you know something's going to go wrong. No, I agree and that brings us to a good next point is that our current economy right now um John Eichert brought it up in his speech about there's certain costs that aren't factored in like right now uh the way the system's set up is especially with subsidies is just pumping out those commodities but there's not really, th what is the price of losing your soil? What is the price of damaging the water for everyone? Because right now that's not getting <clears throat> captured, but it should be. Uh, it, it seems very short-sighted. I guess that's something I'd like to bring up is what are some things we could do to, do you have any ideas of how we could maybe capture that in the agriculture system? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's correct. We, we have externalized, you know, those e ecological and social considerations. Um, you know, there are some different, <coughs> I'm sorry. Um, you know, there are different ways that we could do that. I think one of the ways that consumers are probably most used to is, you know, looking for labels because, I mean, well, there's two, there's two levels. You know, one thing is that you have the direct relationship, you know, with the farmer. So when you go to a farmer's market, if you're a member of a CSA, you know, if you're going to maybe your local cooperative grocery store that's actually really working to, to make these relationships kind of for you as a co-op, um, then you're, you're kind of vetting out the system and, and shortening the, 
the supply chain because it's going like producer to consumer. And so that more of the money is going to go right to the producer. And you're also able to kind of understand, well, okay, I know what's going on with that farm, or maybe you even go to the farm, you know, so you're seeing it. So the way that we, you know, obviously like all 3 million people that live in a city, like can't, can't do that. Don't have the time to do that. Um, so we use labels in, mm-hmm. you know, to say like, oh, this has these qualities. So people are probably most familiar with the organic mm-hmm. label. So, you know, the organic label is, is, and it's very important that people know, organic label is not telling you anything about how much the farmers paid. It's not telling you anything about what's going on with the workers. It's not telling you anything about food safety or nutrition, what it is telling you is, okay, these farmers did not use any synthetic pesticides. They did not use antibiotics at all in raising the animal. Um, And there are certain production practices, like with dairy, it used to be that, you know, the cows needed to be out on the grass, on the pasture, eating pasture uh, for a certain amount. So, you know, that's one way. And then we know that in, in, you know, for example, like Organic Valley, that a lot of that premium price, so you're going to pay a higher price in the market as a consumer for that, that that's getting back down to the farmer. But you don't know that for sure. So that, yeah. you know, I mean, that's the thing that I really encourage people, like, yeah, look at labels and and think about what you're buying and, you know, geek out in the grocery store and, you know, try to understand like where everything's from and how it's happening because, because that is a way that you as a consumer can, can, you know, impact like what's going on. But we need, you know, we need more than that because, you know, having just voting with our dollar is actually not enough because we do need some bigger changes as to the way that agriculture uh, is functioning and and the way that it's uh, formed by the policies that we have, which Mm -hmm. right now the policies that we have are pushing us into this system of fewer, fewer, larger and larger farms. Um, but everyone has a role to play in the solutions. You know, mm-hmm. we, you know, we can be smart consumers and and be conscious about what we're doing when we buy these different things. We can take the extra time to go to the farmers market and make sure that we're shortening the supply. But we also, you know, so that's activity in the markets. But we also need activity in the policy realm to to get of thriving agriculture that is considering the environment that is, you know, leading to vibrant communities. And, you know, that's why I, I do this work. Cause I think we can do it. You know, we, we have the opportunity, but we got to get together and, and do it together. I, I completely agree with uh, everything you just said. The one thing I just wanted to point out for listeners, most farmers, you know, at farmers markets talk to them you know, get to know them. They they want to share their story and then buying direct from them is one of the best things you can do. Um, more money gets into their pocket uh, than going through a middleman. So, you know, farmers, I want to be the new rock stars, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I, I forget someone told me this, but uh, chef, they, they became TV chefs now. Mm. I want, there needs to be TV. TV fo- yeah, exactly. But I, I wanted to follow up about 
policy change definitely needs to be enacted. But I always hear for policy change to happen, culture needs to change first. And But I know that's not always the case, but I was just wondering what are some things you're already working on many things to do it, but high level, what are some things the general public can do to try to change our culture towards enacting these policy changes? Because these are real issues, real problems. Is it just how do we get a great spokesperson out there to be like, hey, this is this is affecting everyone and it affects the economy? Yeah, I think people just the first thing is get involved. Um, and whenever you see that an elected person, I mean, in, in this case with the dairy stuff, and we'll talk about it later, you know, we, we need some federal level change. So, you know, when you look in your newspaper and your Facebook feed and you see, oh, wow, my congressperson is going to be at the library on Thursday afternoon listening, well, go, go to that place because it is actually quite amazing if, you know, if you're there and you take can take the time to be there and say, hey, Mr. Mrs. Congressperson, like, I'm really concerned about our food system. I want good food, but I want to make sure that the farmers in my community can survive and they need to make a living. Uh, they need to get paid a good price so they can make a living. What are you doing about that? I mean, really just... You don't you don't have to know the like fine detail because obviously we all talk about like the sausage making that goes on with policy. So don't worry, you know, that you might not have the exact, you know, design of the policy that you want. That's what their job is supposed to be. Like they're supposed to be the the problem solvers that we elected them to be. So but really just putting that question and talking about how you value good food for you and your family, but you want to make sure that the farmers are not getting the short end of the stick. And and it's and just making sure that that's up in their face. Mm-hmm. Uh, because then because then they can't say, you know, consumers don't really care about this or, you know, and I, maybe throw in you know, I'd be willing to pay a couple more cents for my gallon of milk if we all solve this problem together. Mm-hmm. Because that is actually a very common, like, pushback. Like, well, you know, consumers will have to pay more. And you can say, you know, I'm willing to to, to look at that, but I know that farmers need to be paid more. Uh, and I'm a consumer, and I want to be, you know, be together with the farmers and make sure we can all do well. And so you solve the problem. That's your job. (laughs) So I think that, you know, calling, obviously calling is helpful. Um, I also think that, you know, even just so you've got the federal policy. We talked about, you know, what you can do when you go right to the farmer's market, when you go to the grocery store. I also always... um, you know, talk to your the produce manager in the grocery store, talk to the dairy case manager, because the more if they're like, think about how weird it would be for them if like three or four people a day start coming into the store and be like, hey, do you know what the deal is with how much they're paying farmers? Like, I'm really concerned about that. I, you know, what this dairy stuff, do you know where this dairy is coming from? And here's a little fun tip. 
if you look on your jug of milk, there's a little like, you know, where it says like best by, you know, the date August 12th or whatever. Right below is is a little inkjet code that'll tell you exactly what plant, what dairy plant it was made in. And you there's a website called where's my milk from.com and you type in the little code. Like the it has a two-digit number for the state. So Wisconsin is 55. And then it has a hyphen, and then it'll have a three or f- two, three or four digit, and that's the plant mm-hmm. where it was processed. So you can figure out exactly where your milk came from, and that might also help you figure out, like, well, is this coming from my state even? Yeah. You know? So you you can, and that's the fun way to, like, geek out in the grocery store. No, yeah, no, I agree. I'm Because we're always, our whole point is with this podcast not only is it increase health literacy, is to get people thinking about where their food comes from because there is sometimes people get, just get caught up on, oh, what are my calories? How much protein am I getting? But not counting the impact on the environment and then also how, how everyone is raised, how everyone is treated. But no, those are very good points. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to now was um, your work with the uh, Wisconsin Food Hub. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were talking about, you used the word CSA, and you also said co-op. Um, for our listeners who don't know that, could you just briefly explain those? Yeah, so um, one of the uh, groups of farmers that I work with and, and getting to know are folks doing what's called community-supported agriculture, so CSA, and that's... Uh, most often it's a direct relationship between the eater, the consumer, and the farmer. And you are paying in advance for a season's worth of farm produce. And you're doing, usually you'll get a weekly box of vegetables. um, And you might be doing eggs and cheese and meat too, but most of it uh, usually is vegetables. And you are in direct relationship and you get this weekly box. um, And that is a way, again, to like better be in relationship between farmers and eaters, but also you're helping the farmer by ensuring they know what their income is. Because if you think about it, when you go to the farmer's market, think about all the produce that the farmers like harvested and, and washed and gotten to the farmer's market. And then at the end of the day, if it doesn't sell, a lot of times they're they're going to have to just put it on the compost pile or maybe they have some pigs they're going to feed it to yeah. the pigs but if you're a CSA member then you're like locking in that like the farmer knows that you're going to get that produce and they you've paid for it and so it, it can be a way for people to really like support the farms and and then you know if there's more tomatoes one week and fewer carrots the next it can actually just flow with like what's actually available on the farm so that's that's a great model and if if that's something that works for you and you've got people in your area i really encourage people to check out community supported agriculture as a as an economic and social like cool way to set things up <laughs> And then I mentioned cooperative. I was, you know, I think talking about grocery co-ops, but, you know, dairy farmers process their milk as a co-op. It's the business that they own together. They're stockholders in it. And that's another way to look at 
you know, what the economic realities are of the food system is who who's owning the businesses. And as a consumer, you may be able to shop at a grocery cooperative and then you actually like you are part uh, owner or patron of the business. And then it's basically providing the services for the people that are using the services and it's owned by those people. So um, that's, you know, another indicator of kind of how the economy is working for people. I mean, I want to make a caveat, like a lot of co-ops for farmers are not treating their farmers very well. So it's not, you know, it's not, again, sadly, there isn't like that one thing that's going (laughs) to, you got to still got to do your homework and we have to be vigilant, you know, as, as people in these different relationships. So, but, but I think if you don't know much about the history of co-ops and you should do a whole other podcast on that because <laughs> no it's really important you know yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's a resurgence because people know that the economy is not working for people and they're looking for well how how would we fix it how would we restructure it and looking at ownership who really owns it who's making the decisions mm-hmm. about what's going on can you just talk briefly about the Wisconsin uh, Food Hub co-op? Yeah, so the Wisconsin Food One Hub. One of the good ones. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we hope. We're working on that, definitely. Wisconsin Food Hub Cooperative was founded by a small group of Wisconsin uh, vegetable farmers uh, back in 2012 and the Wisconsin Farmers Union. And the whole uh, reason of founding the co-op is was just how can farmers more easily get their product to market? Um, because you had a lot of folks that maybe were doing farmers markets or CSAs or farm stands, you know, either at their farm or maybe somewhere in town where people could come by and buy sweet corn and tomatoes and things. But then how do we sort of take it up to the next level? Because we had a lot of farmers who maybe they'd, they had relationships with five grocery stores. And so they would go to each grocery store and, and drop off their, you know, 10 cases of this or a a bin of pumpkins or things like that. And, but then the farmer then has to be like the farmer and the salesperson and the delivery person. And so the idea with the co-op is that as a group of farmers, they would pool their investment together. And then instead of having everybody showing up at the back door of the grocery store, which also the grocery store people are like, ah, there's, you know, I got 40 different farmers dropping off one box mm-hmm. of this, is that it all would come together. And then the co-op provides a service of the sales, but then also even just the transactions of like billing the grocery store and getting the payment. Because if you have been in business or even just in your daily life, like chasing payments. And so anyways, the co-op is doing that for the farmers. And That's so, good. yeah, so we're, we have 50 farm members now. We're selling uh, into Chicago, Milwaukee, across Wisconsin, grocery stores, restaurants, through some distributors. So, yeah, it's going well. It's it's difficult. It's perishable product on a low margin, but that's what we're trying to solve together. So it's a good thing. It's a, And look for food hubs in your area. There's a lot. And there a lot of them are working on different models, but, but it's a good um, – it's a necessary part of helping farmers and eaters connect, but like through the standard 
way, like going to the grocery store or yeah. going to a, a, just a normal restaurant. So, And one thing I just wanted to add with that, just from my experience uh, going to certain C- CSAs, because some of them also you can go visit and they'll have events there too where they cook and it's from food grown right there. It's fresh and it's it's awesome. It's the some of the best food you'll ever have because it's fresh and it's community. Yeah, look so. for events, you know, around a good friend of mine has a wildly successful pizza on the farm. And, you know, they're raising all the tomatoes for the tomato sauce and you, the mushrooms and all the veggies. And then even they're raising the pigs that is made into the sausage mm-hmm. for the pizza. And plus you're like sitting outside hanging out and they even started brewing their own beer now. Yeah. So there is a lot of cool. And and I think that's, if you, if you, if you're just starting out with this and just thinking like, well, how can I do this? You know, scan your newspaper, Google, you know, farm events and, and try that out because they're super fun and tasty. Yeah. And one thing I'm really uh, excited about in the future, uh, one of our previous podcasts, Gary Siegworth brought this up. He works for the Iowa DNR, but his vision for the future, he said he kind of wanted to see farmers boom, kind of like the craft brew movement about how like there's craft brew everywhere. And I think we're kind of going there because I'm seeing more and more of these events. So definitely check those out. They're a lot of fun. But uh, one thing to wrap it up, I two things to wrap it up, but one thing for sure is I wanted to talk about your dairy together. Now, this is probably the most impactful thing we could get policy going with or mm-hmm. to change prices so farmers have living wages. Can you just talk about that and how we as consumers can help? Yeah. Advocates? Yeah. So, so with this price crisis for dairy right now, we talked at the beginning about the just big loss of dairy farms due to the fact that people are not getting paid a price that's covering their cost of production, allowing them to to support the business and their families. So we know that, you know, these, these really big changes uh, that we need because the federal government is highly involved in the way that dairy products are priced to the farmer, like the price that's paid to the farmer. And so we have to have the federal government make changes to do it. If we didn't have to go through them, believe me, we would avoid that. But but what we need is we need strong voices and we need to bring the, the farm community, the dairy farm community uh, together in a large voice and make some noise because it's getting uh, really bad, but we need to punch through like all the other issues and, and, and voices that may not have an interest in paying farmers uh, a living wage or living mm-hmm. price. Um, so what we've been doing is Wisconsin Farmers Union, other f- state farmers unions, uh, National Farmers Organization, uh, even OC, uh, Organization of Competitive Mar- Markets, whose conference we're at right now, uh, coming together and, and uh, we've been touring and having meetings around the U.S. with farmers. We've been looking at different models for policy and, yeah, what would it look like? What would produce the most 
equitable results. Um, and then starting to talk to, okay, who would be the congressperson or the senator that would introduce the bill? You know, can we all get around it? And, and then we also have the opportunity. We are having a lot of debate in the 2020 presidential. Uh, we are hearing most about the Democratic primary right now, but obviously then the Democratic person will be, a, uh, presumably, uh, challenging Trump or, you know, if Trump doesn't run, then a Republican and there may be other party candidates. So we want the dairy price crisis because of the issues for farmers, for rural communities, what it means for our food system and the food that consumers have available. We need this to be like a number one issue in the presidential debates. And so what we're doing with Dairy Together is looking at the actual policy solutions, but most of all, bringing the broadest set of people around the table to push for a better system. And so we, we invite you to join the farmers in solidarity, um, in coalition. And I think for consumers right now, the biggest thing is, uh, we talked about it earlier, you know, if you're have an opportunity or take the opportunity to call your congresspeople, your senators and say, hey, what are you doing? This is, we know our farmers are in crisis. Um, you need to solve this problem. We need to figure out how they can be assured a price that will allow them to have a viable business and a living wage for their household. Uh, so that's a big thing. Um, their dairytogether.com has all the background information. There's a lot of like short videos and things that try to explain. Um, some of them are a little wonky, but we're working on, you know, <laughs> mixing up the, uh, mixing up the content so that you know, some of it is kind of that fine level detail, but others of it is, is just explaining because I mean, in a sense, it's not complicated. Like farmers just need a decent price for their product. And there's a lot of ways that the federal government like completely impacts the way that pricing happens. So, and why aren't the processors and branded dairy products, why aren't they right up there with us on the barricade saying, hey, like we need farms to be able to survive. Mm -hmm. um, so, so we do need consumers, you know, we're also looking for other uh, retailers, processors, uh, people that sell things to farmers, like the people that sell tractors. Well, they're getting into a bad situation because there's fewer and fewer farmers and the farmers that are left want these bigger and bigger and bigger things. But a lot of these suppliers would do better if they had more, more clients, more mm -hmm. customers rather than fewer. So, so we called the prod or the campaign dairy together just very simply to say, we got to do this together and we need all hands on deck uh, so I encourage folks to to check out the information, ask questions. Wisconsin Farmers Union is always open to that. There's a lot of states have farmers unions. Uh, we're heading out to Washington, D.C. as a group of farmers in the second week of September um, to talk as a group to our elected officials about this and show up. Um, and, yeah, so there's, a, I think, 
putting the voice out there. If people are on social media, it always helps if people are retweeting things Mm -hmm. or sharing things, because I think for, for consumers, you know, if they're starting to go into a little bit more detail to understand stuff, if they can help inform their friends and family. And we know now these days, like that's where people get their info Mm -hmm. is it be helpful. Um, and, and so, you know, get, dig in with us. We need everybody's help. So, yeah. Great. Um, is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Any big takeaway? <laughs> big takeaway. Um, I think that we have a real opportunity right now. I mean, we are in this position where we're seeing how not paying attention to what the structures look like, you know, just allowing for things to concentrate and, and, and it didn't happen on accident. You know, there's a lot of powerful forces that were shaping like, Oh wow. You know, I'm a, a wall street bigwig. I can make more money if there's more, you know, like just a couple gigantic farms and not a bunch of small independent business people operating. So, you know, we're going to have to work to, to unravel the bad system that's been formed and remake it the way that we can. But, but we are, we are in an opportunity point right now because I think more and more people are tuning in to try to figure out, Hey, this, this is not working for me. I'm not getting good food. I don't like, you know, what's going on with it. Um, but we, but it, but it is, there's an urgency in it too, because we don't want to go beyond the point of no return. Uh, and you know, there are certain, I, if you look at the other agricultural sectors, there like dairy has not been as concentrated as like pork and poultry and other things. And for all the different reasons, dairy still was like kind of dispersed ownership, lots of farms um, operating independently. And now we're going that same direction. And, and it's, and it's also something that you see, and consolidation in in the economy that's in other places, not just ag. So it's all happening, mm-hmm. and so it's time to you know get get engaged, so we don't go past the tipping point. Agree. I couldn't say it any better. One fun question to end this. <laughs> oh yes, you're from Wisconsin. Yes. I've been to Wisconsin, Wisconsin so many times. <laughs> being in Iowa, what's your favorite cheeses? Oh my gosh. We do have an embarrassment of riches. There are so many, but here's this one. Okay. There's a woman named Marika and I don't know her last name. I should. It, she has a, she's Dutch, but she moved to Wisconsin and has this great cheese plant. She makes all these Gouda cheeses, Gouda cheeses. And then she's got some with like different spices in them. So there's like a cumin or maybe a fennel, but then there's this one. It's fenugreek, which is like a herb, mm-hmm. and it's in the Gouda, and I'm telling you, it's so good. And it's, I think it's Marika's fenugreek. It's very good. Look for that. I think she has wider distribution, but maybe not of that particular cheese. So you're going to have to come to Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> and you can go right to her cheese plant. Um, there's like Pleasant Ridge Reserve is this really great, like Gruyere style. Of course, it's not 
Gruyere, but it's a Wisconsin's. Um, and though that's very good. Oh my gosh. Car Valley cheese has this, like, they have a great gargonzola, like a blue cheese that's fabulous. I'm the person that it's great when I go to family gatherings and stuff. I just bring like my favorite cheeses and everyone thinks it's so great, these cheeses, but I didn't do any of that work and you know here's like my mother-in-law is making this amazing turkey or casserole and I like show up with these cheese and people are like oh cheese Sarah brought the cheese I'm like yeah that's good because I can just know which ones are super tasty no yeah. that's very common and <laughs> honestly there's so many places in Wisconsin because you listed off a bunch that I didn't know. <laughs> and I'm like, I can oh. name 15 more. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, but, no, no. Uh, we do a good job. Just wanted that. to thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> this is uh, very enlightening. And hopefully we can get more people to go to Dairy together and um, talk to their congresspeople and try to get change. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. We'd like to remind our audience that the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Biteable or of our staff personally. The purpose of the Biteable podcast is to encourage spirited dialogue around topics like food, nutrition, animal and human welfare, and the food system. Part of having an open and spirited dialogue is accepting that others have views that are different than ours and working to understand how their experiences have differed from our own. We encourage all listeners to do their own research on any and all topics discussed during the show. That being said, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and thanks for listening.